Last week, Craig preached on the fruit that is produced from those who are in Christ. The bearing of fruit is is a non-negotiable for the Christian who is abiding in Jesus. I know when he preaches again, he has said that he will define what the fruit actually is. What what does that fruit look like in and through our lives? But this morning, we're expecting, uh, we're, we're going to turn to see how expecting Christ's return leads up to bear the fruit of preparation. So the question becomes for us, how do we bear fruit in preparation for the coming of Christ? How do we prepare for the kingdom of God that Christ is bringing and has come? And what has Jesus given us to tell us about how to bear fruit in preparation? So with that, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. And when you're there, please stand as we read God's holy word. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. This is God's holy word for us this morning. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Can we pray before we enter into this text together? Father, be with the preaching of your word. Help us to ready ourselves for the coming of your kingdom. May we be active participants in preparing for your return, knowing that you come unexpectedly but also right on time. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. So here we go. We are going to talk about this parable, and this really is a parable in threes. There are three characters, three plot points, and three larger themes that Jesus is trying to communicate in this text today. So three characters, three plot points, and three larger themes. So let's start with these three characters that Jesus presents in the story. And that is the foolish, the wise, and the bridegroom. Now before we get into this parable particularly, we need a little bit of context before we begin. Where we are in this point in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 25, is that we are nearing the end of Jesus' ministry as he heads over to the cross. And his disciples, as you can imagine, are getting a little bit anxious. You see, they have left everything they had to follow him. Career, family, stability, all to follow this rabbi named Jesus who they believed would bring about the promise of the coming of the kingdom of God. 
But everything that the disciples thought was associated with the king and the kingdom, well, it wasn't quite happening to their expectations. It looked like everyone seemed to be opposed to Jesus and his teachings. The Pharisees are after his head. The crowds get more unruly as Matthew's gospel unfurls. And the opposition continues to grow. And if you were his disciple, you would be expecting a royal kingdom. Gradual peace and prosperity, maybe. So, so it's not hard to imagine why the disciples are having a hard time grasping Jesus and his actions as we near the end of Matthew's gospel. And so on one of these days, Jesus and his disciples leave the temple and head up to the Mount of Olives, which gives this view of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And it gets the disciples thinking about this kingdom of God again. And so the disciples ask him a question in the chapter before, in Matthew 24, where they ask simply, Jesus, uh, when will be the end when your kingdom will come? And, and what will be the sign of your coming? And this is where Jesus gets into these parables. And Jesus tells us this story of the ten virgins to ask us, and to ask his disciples, of course, which character we are in light of Christ, the bridegroom. And the questions that he's getting at is simply this. Are you the foolish or are you the wise? Jesus talks about these two persons in the context of a wedding. And here we have 10 virgins who attended to, attended to the bride in a way similar to bridesmaids today. Now, you have to understand that, that weddings back then are, are, are in, in some ways very different than weddings of today, but in some ways very similar. They're a huge deal. They had relational, financial, social, and communal implications for, for not just getting the two married, but also for everyone else in the city. There is a tremendous amount of buildup. Being betrothed took about a year-long process, which, by the way, back then was a legally binding contract where the couple was called husband and wife but, but did not live together or consummate the marriage until the wedding day. And like the weddings of the today, the wedding ceremonies and the feasts were of huge and significant importance. Now, if, if you've ever planned a wedding ceremony and a feast, maybe you can begin to sympathize here with the emotional and physical responsibility that Jesus is setting up here in the story for these 10 virgins that are assisting with this wedding. I, I, I don't mean to re-stress those of you who have been involved in wedding planning, but you're probably having flashbacks, right, to the immense amount of responsibilities that are involved. Get all your friends and family together to meet at a specific time of day on a specific week that pleases everyone. Organize food allergies and preferences so that no one dies on your wedding day. Find a beautiful venue for the wedding that has natural sunlight, stained glass windows, historical significance, and a good sound system. Get a photographer who can make you look candid, happy, perfectly dressed, and knows your best angles for the Instagram. All right, pick a DJ who isn't going to ruin the entire wedding by playing One is the Loneliest Number as your entrance song. Pick the perfect flowers out of the four million types of species of flowers that exist in the world. Pick color of table runners, which up until this point in your life, you have never even thought about the color of table runners ever, but apparently if you choose the wrong one, everyone will hate you because your wedding colors clashed. And most of all, have fun and relax and make sure that everyone has a good time. Now I want you to imagine all of that and multiply it times seven because that's how many days a wedding feast would be back in Jesus' day. 
all of that stress times seven, wedding feasts with food, drink, festivities planned for the entire duration. So imagine now being a part of that wedding party, one of these 10 virgins. Their role in assisting and helping for this multiple day feast, phased in multiple periods of time, spent in multiple locations, all of that, and the weight of the responsibility should feel appropriate at this moment. This is a big deal. And it's assumed that these 10 virgins knew the importance of what this day meant. But Jesus splits the party in half in his story. Those who were declared to be foolish and those who were declared to be wise. You see, wisdom is a huge theme all throughout scriptures. It's what drives and makes the difference between those who are bearing fruit in covenant community and those who are not. If you read through Proverbs, it's the wise who have abundance and wisdom and, and the foolish who have few. They, those who have strong relationships are doing so in wisdom, and those who are alien from, uh, alienated from others are, are foolish. Those, these aspects of wisdom are all throughout God's word. And here, these aspects of wisdom lead to the conclusion of why we are wise or why we are foolish. See, it's not just for our own end. It's, it's, it's a marker to show who belongs to the kingdom of God and who does not. And there's this third character here, the bridegroom. You see, the bridegroom back in an agrarian society bore the responsibility of the land and the kingdom that belonged to the totality of the family and marriage. They would be responsible in defending the family, preserving the future of the marriage. The bridegroom, unlike many of the weddings and marriage today, would actually be largely in charge of the festivities that occur. And because the main portion of the wedding would actually be held at the bridegroom's house. Now, normally, the bridegroom in the beginning would go with some of his close friends to the bride's home. Various ceremonies would be held, followed by a procession through the streets, when around nightfall, the ceremonies would conclude at the bridegroom's home, where the formal festivities would begin. So imagine this, this prepared feast, the honored guests that would be there, and the nature of what it meant to make sure that you were attending this wedding right on time, and that you were there for the family, ready to go. To miss out or come unprepared was the highest offense that could be given. After all, right, being invited to the wedding means you are part of this, this family, part of this new life and community. So for the bridegroom to be disrespected at this wedding meant that the, the family would be disgraced. So any kind of offense here culturally would be seen as an act of not just a mere, hey, sorry, we couldn't make it, but an act of hostility, of rejection. So because of this, the bridegroom has the authority to reject anyone from entering the wedding in feast if he so chooses, and also has the power to let in anyone who is in the wedding who he knows is for him and for his family. Not everyone gets an invite to the wedding, nor should anyone expect us to be allowed to be entered in simply by them showing up. Now to the disciples hearing it, they're hearing the echoes of the Old Testament when Jesus talks about this about the Lord's relationship to Israel, how prophets like Hosea and Jeremiah show that how God is a bridegroom to God's people, the bride, and how the end times would be like a wedding feast in the prophet Isaiah. So his disciples are, are getting this picture that all of these virgins are a part of the wedding feast, but not all of them truly think correctly about the bridegroom, and that will lead to their downfall. 
So Jesus is simply asking his disciples and is asking us here a question. Which one are you? Are you ready? Are you preparing? And that leads us to Jesus' three plot points. The preparation, the delay, and the demand. These three plot points. We start by noticing the preparation. Both the foolish and the wise take their lamps with them, but only the wise take an additional flask of oil with their lamps. These would be more likely like simple torches covered in rags, and as the flames would burn, they would require oil to be dozed upon them from time to time as they were traveling. If there was a short wait, you could actually douse your torch with a good amount of oil in the beginning, and there would be no need to bring any additional flask of oil with you. So when you look at it, initially it would appear that the fools are actually being efficient with what they are bringing, as opposed to the wise who, who seem to be encumbering themselves by bringing a flask of oil, oil that might be potentially completely unnecessary. And that moves us to the second part of the plot, the, the delay. What is the overlying assumption that the foolish are making when they decide not to bring an extra flask of oil? That the bridegroom surely would not be delayed and surely would act upon their own schedule that they themselves have set for the bridegroom's arrival. And this Jesus' point to prepare foolishly is to expect Christ to act in accordance with your timeline. So much so that it requires no expectation of delay, of suffering, or inconvenience on your part to be ready to meet him. You might be ready here today to meet Jesus. But I suspect that some of us, and myself included from time to time, you want to meet him on your own timeline, on your own terms. And this passage is saying that that is not preparation to meet Jesus. This is foolishness. That is not how the wise act in this passage, is it? The wise here are understanding that this bridegroom, with all that the bridegroom has on his plate, might not arrive at the expected time. And so they bear fruit in expectation that the bridegroom would not be delayed. They were not expecting the bridegroom to meet them on their own terms. They rather instead knew the potential problems that could occur in the waiting and are readying themselves to deal with these problems so there are fully prepared for the bridegroom's arrival. It would be good for us to remind ourselves that we need to consider that none of us knows what lies ahead of us in the journey in the Christian life. We need to see how we're preparing ourselves for the inevitable delay and trials that we will endure before the kingdom of heaven is fully consummated and we are invited to the great wedding feast of Christ. You see, to bear fruit is to bear in difficulty. You know, I'm reminded of the story about the global church here when I think about this. At the beginning of 2018, new religious regulations were implemented across China. Though many were uncertain of how strictly these regulations would be enforced, one pastor, trained by the reformed organization Third Millennium, by the name of Wang Yi, and his church, Early Reign Reformed Covenant Church, was active in calling for China's house churches to not comply with the government's regulations. They knew that this would come with the possibility that the Chinese covenant would potentially arrest and detain them, their church, their elders, their deacons, their families, their children, and their property. But to take the alternative, though it might have been for them prudent, expedient, was simply not an option for them as they were trying to prepare their members and their church to look for the kingdom of God to spread. 
So Pastor Wang Yi would preach sermons preparing their congregation for the inevitable hardship and trials again. This was not a church growth strategy, okay? And as they were facing certain invasion of their church, Wang Yi wrote this letter to his congregation. And I'm just gonna read a quote here for you now. He writes this. I have seen many Chinese churches die in spirit as a result of their lack of preparation. The possibility of persecution is a test to see out of our fear of death, we choose to become slaves. Have our hearts truly been set free by the gospel and will they remain honorable under any system and in any environment? Believers who live at ease usually misunderstand their piety. Only when the absolute temperature drops do we feel the cold and truly long for the light. Pastor Wang Yi and his wife are still in prison today. A little more than four years since the government came and stormed their church building. He is expected to remain in prison for seven more years, but probably a lot longer than that. But he and his family and his church are bearing the fruit of preparation. Because he understands what the wise virgins understand. That what seems like delay to us will only increase our readiness and delight and joy when the bridegroom finally arrives. That moves us here to this third plot point in the passage, the demand. You see, the foolish demand the wise give them their preparation. And this demand is rejected. The wise cannot give to the foolish, not, only, not, not just because they're, they're being selfish or because they're trying to position themselves as, as sort of like a posturing in front of the bridegroom. It's simply that they have readied themselves for this moment, and they cannot transfer their readiness for the journey to the foolish and still hope to make it to this wedding feast. While many interpretations of this passage have tried to symbolize that the oil is, you know, good works or salvation or grace, uh, the point here is not the oil, but it's that the wise cannot give the preparation to the foolish and expect the foolish to become as they are. The foolish need to get it for themselves. So the preparation, the delay, and the demand move us now as we see these plot points unfold to three themes that Jesus wants us to see. Three themes. That's the arrival, the judgment, and the advent. And we'll conclude with this. First, the arrival. The bridegroom arrives, and the wise are ready to join into this marvelous feast. They have honored the bridegroom and have ready themselves to celebrate the wedding feast with the family and enjoy all the blessings that come alongside. The long-expected bridegroom was delayed, but that doesn't matter now for those who are prepared. All they have now is the enjoyment of what they long awaited for. The conclusion of all they had hoped for has come. Their preparation has allowed them to enjoy that fellowship. The bridegroom is here. But what about the foolish? And this is the second larger theme that Jesus is talking about, and that is one of judgment. We see here that for the foolish, the door has been shut. And I want you to pay attention here to verse 11, where they come in and say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And the bridegroom answers by saying this, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Now that should be striking to us when we read this. How could it be that the bridegroom wouldn't know who is in the wedding party? 
Jesus displays the reality of what judgment will be like for those who are foolish, for those who are wise. Yes, we have a loving and merciful God, but judgment comes not because our God isn't loving or isn't merciful, it's just simply too late. C.S. Lewis says it best in regards to the arrival of Christ and the judgment that follows. He, he writes this, when the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. What is the good of saying you are on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else? There is no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. In other words, the feast has begun. The festivities have arrived, and so the virgins on the outside have now tragically, when it has become too late to do so, are out of this feast. So I just want to implore you today, if you have not considered Christ, don't delay. Consider who he is. See the free gift of the gospel he is offering for you. His life, his salvation, his death on the cross for your sins, his resurrection for your salvation, the righteousness that he gives you on his behalf, but more importantly than his benefits, the person of Jesus. Don't delay. Consider him this morning. But Jesus gives this parable as a wake-up call not just to those who have not considered him, but his disciples to prepare for this third plot point, his advent, his second coming, his return. We as a people of God believe that it is certain, and this is a wake-up call to us for us as well. Now, we can sometimes believe that waiting for the kingdom of God is like a, a passive waiting, but he exhorts his disciples at the end of verse 13 to watch, not just by simply just waiting and falling asleep. We, we hope actively. We bear fruit actively. And we can help others along the way when they are stumbling, when they are losing sight of this and their hope as well. So the question that Jesus is asking his disciples is the question he's asking us. What does bearing the fruit of preparation look like? Is it realizing that you need to be equipped spiritually to rid yourself of distraction? Is it realizing that you've been making God and putting him on your timeline and that you need to surrender yourself to his? How are we preparing ourselves corporately as a congregation, a church? How are we readying our lives in worship and the glory of God to get ready for the one day that we will be able to enjoy God forever in fellowship by encouraging one another as the body of Christ, by attending to each other's need? How are we bearing the fruit of preparation? And in saying this, I want you to hear that this isn't coming from a place of, of just adding more burdens to bear, but because guilt, after all, guilt isn't fruit-bearing. But I want you to know that preparation always stems from the place of love, readiness, because we as a covenant community are in love with the Savior that we know is coming back. And that is the good news, church, isn't it, today? Jesus is returning. He is faithful to his promises. He's preparing us for the greatest of all feasts. We'll end with this. Look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has what? Made herself ready. 
It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, we are awaiting that great feast, but until then, we bear fruit by giving ourselves to the supper that Christ has given to us, and we will celebrate that now. But can we pray together first? Let's pray. Father, may we be a church that bears the fruit of preparation. Lord, by your spirit, make us wise. By your spirit, let us consider the invitation the bridegroom has given to us. And by your spirit, let us press forth through trials, through delay, through difficulty, knowing that you work all things in the perfection of your sovereign time. Lord, let us put our faith in that as we await Christ, the great bridegroom. In Jesus' name.